when I researched the incidence of HO after elbowarthroscopy, there there really wasn't much out there. Um, and even at meetings and talking to some of the elbow gurus, um, like Sean O'Driscoll, it, it, he had only seen a handful in his whole career. Well, I think you're one of the gurus now. I hate to tell you that, but. <laughs> Welcome to the Arthroscopy Association's Arthroscopy Journal podcast. The views expressed in this podcast do not necessarily represent the views of the Arthroscopy Association or the Arthroscopy Journal. Greetings, this is Rob Hartzler with TSAOG Orthopedics in San Antonio. Today on the podcast, we have the pleasure of speaking with Dr. Rafi Mirzayan, sports specialist with Kaiser Permanente in Southern California and clinical professor of orthopedic surgery at USC's Keck School of Medicine. Dr. Mirzayan, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Rob. It's a pleasure and honor to be here with you tonight. Today, we're going to be discussing your article, which is in press as of 2019 November in the journal entitled, Complications of Elbow Arthroscopy in a Community-Based Practice. Dr. Mirzayan, congratulations on this article. Thank you. Tell us what you learned from the article and why you wanted to take this on. I do want to mention that the first author of the paper uh, was my resident, Jessica Antravia. She really did the bulk of the work, and she really is the one who should be doing this interview with you, but she's intimately involved with this project, and I could not have done it without her. She did a phenomenal job, um, so I definitely give her all the accolades for this paper. So, Jessica, great job. The reason we did this study was that there were few studies uh, in the literature with large series, um, especially that representative of, of the community um, or surgeon. Uh, most of the studies were of one or two surgeons in, in large tertiary referral centers, um, and we felt that that wasn't representative of the community surgeon. So that's why we did this study, because we feel that um, the, the surgeon population at Kaiser more, more accurately represents the the community surgeon. Is there anything about the Kaiser system in and of itself that you need to know to understand the paper? Yeah, um, I think the main fact is that the Kaiser system is a large HMO, so all of our patients are are captured within our system, um, and we're all tied with one electronic medical record. So if a patient sees me and I perform a surgery and they have a complication and they go go and see another surgeon to get uh, the, the complication taken care of, we can capture that in the electronic medical record. So um, we get a high respondent rate and we have a lot of patients that we can follow up and uh, we also have access to every uh, contact in, the, in our healthcare system. So emergency room records, operative records, physical therapy notes. So we can get a fairly detailed information from, from the patients and their medical care. Certainly a large number of cases, 560 seems like it's probably going to be the largest number reported in the literature uh, to date. Was that what you found in reviewing things? That's correct. I think the largest uh, besides this was 473 patients. Um, So yeah, this is going to be one of the largest series. And I think what's interesting is that the majority of the surgeons who contributed, and we had 42 surgeons um, in 14 medical centers in Southern California, Kaiser Permanente system that contributed to the series, um, the majority of them had done less than 10 elbow arthroscopies during our study period. So again, these are low volume surgeons, you know, um, who, or, who are not doing a ton of cases. And given, even with that, our complication rate overall for everything we looked at was very, very low. So um, I know there's, there's a sense of discomfort or some, some surgeons are 
uh, concerned about doing elbow arthroscopy, but what we found is that um, even in low volume surgeons, the, the complications were extremely low. Yeah, it was low. I, was it surprising to you that it was at least as low or possibly lower than some of the other big series? I, you know, I thought that it would be higher just because most of the other papers were were written by the experts who have a ton of volume and ton of experience in their tertiary referral centers. Um, so I expected it to be slightly higher, but um, it was a pleasant surprise that it, it wasn't, um, that we had a fairly low complication rate on all the different factors that we looked at. One thing I was wondering about is if you had a sense of what the indications were for these surgeries. I know it wasn't, you know, directly reported in the paper, but, um, you know, any, any sense of that 70, I know 70% were medium or high complexity. So it's, it's not like these were all, you know, really simple cases. That's a good question. And it's definitely one of the limitations of the study because it was retrospective. Uh, we did not have a standardized way for every surgeon to have the same indications to take patients to surgery. Um, so it, it essentially, each surgeon had their own indication of taking sur- taking patients to the operating room. Um, but like you said, the majority of them were medium to high complexity, which means besides just diagnostic arthroscopy or, or a loose body removal, um, these were like either uh, tennis elbow surgeries or bone resection, uh, osteocapsule, capsular arthroplasty, I mean, higher complexity cases. So was, was tennis elbow surgery considered medium complexity? Do you know that? Yeah, that would be, yeah. Some simple complexity would be diagnostic arthroscopy and a loose body removal. Well, you're not really changing the anatomy or doing anything else in the elbow. Okay, excellent. Well, whenever I counsel patients about elbow arthroscopy, I do, I think, perhaps overemphasize the possibility of nerve injury. I, you know, 10% is an easy number to remember. That's on the upper end of what's been reported for nerve injuries. But I think that's what I usually tell, tell people is that that has been reported up to be that up to that high, but that they're usually transient. And, and, you know, I'm in my practice, I haven't had that many. So maybe I should bring that number down. Huh? Um, I definitely would recommend that. So in our series um, of 560 procedures, there were 20 transient nerve palsies, which is three and a half percent. Um, so I think that's more of an accurate number than the 10%. I thought it was interesting that, um, you know, there was a discrepancy between male and female sex. Uh, females represented a lot lower uh, percentage of the total patients and um, seemed to have a, a significantly higher risk for nerve injury. Any thoughts on that? That's, that also struck me as well. I, I think the majority of the elbow cases, like I said, were from either repetitive trauma or in heavy laborers who had a mild or early arthritis or who had uh, osteophytes that required you know, removal of the osteophytes. And, and um, just, I, I don't think that many women are in heavy labor occupations or where, where they have repetitive trauma to the elbow. Um, so th- I think that may account for the lower numbers of women in our, in our series. Right. I really don't have an explanation as to why they had a higher um, odd of uh, nerve injury. So it, in, um, in women, there was a 2.9 times odds of um, nerve injury compared to men, and that was statistically significant. Um, so 
So I, I think maybe a smaller anatomy or smaller diameter of the elbow or the arm and forearm um, could account for that, but I, I really don't have an explanation. Yeah, you had a bunch of pediatric patients too, speaking of small elbows. That's probably a strength of the yeah. study. Yes, it is. Um, so we, we really didn't find anything um, different as far as age um, between pediatric and adult patients. Um, one thing we did not look at was what scope was used. So, uh, for example, in, in, I use standard knee and shoulder, you know, four millimeter scopes um, in, for all my elbow arthroscopies. Um, in, in the pediatric patient, they may have used small scopes, um, smaller uh, or small joint arthroscopy, um, and that could have uh, helped with keeping the rate of nerve injury down. This was not statistically significant, but um, if you're over the age of 18, you had a two-time odds ratio of a nerve injury compared to uh, if you're under 18. So adults had twice the risk of nerve injury, but again, not statistically significant. Right. I thought that the, uh, the rate of heterotopic ossification um, being low is reassuring also. Um, I know you mentioned that one of the, the weaknesses of the study was inconsistent practice of obtaining postoperative x-rays. So um, might have been that those more of those patients got x-rays that were symptomatic and that that rate might actually even be lower if everybody was screened any any thoughts on that um that that's a good question um and again i don't know the exact answer to that because like you just said not everyone got post-operative x-rays but um i think that number um is, is basically it could be underreported so the rate of ho could be higher um, I can tell you I had um, 202 patients in this series that were my own patients, and I, and I got post-op x-rays on um, everyone routinely, and eight out of the 202, or 3.9%, uh, developed HO. These are just my subset of patients. Um, so that's, I think, yet the 2.5 that's reported might be slightly lower. I think the 3.9% is more accurate because I did get routine x-rays on every one of those patients. Uh, again, that's a Got fairly it. high number. You, you, yeah, I'm sorry. That's a, a fairly high number. If you think about it, you're, you're doing a, you know, an arthroscopy and to have like a 4% rate of HO. And these were just significant. Uh, it wasn't just little pebbles of bone. These were significant um, uh, heterotopic ossification, the majority of my patients that got HO had to go back to surgery for HO resection and post-operative um, XRT or, or radiation therapy. Um, so they, they were, these weren't like just little tiny flakes of, of bone. Um, I was, I was going to ask you that, you know, you mentioned one surgeon performed the highest number over 100. So you're that guy. I'm that guy. <laughs> yeah. Nice. It's, nice. Um, so any changes to your practice in terms of HO prophylaxis? No, I, I think, um, well, I shouldn't say no. I, I do a fair number of osteocapsular arthroplasties, and I used to take the burr and burr the osteophytes down, and now I use osteotomes to take out the electron osteophyte or coronoid osteophyte. Um, or if I do end up burying something, I flush the bone fragments out as much as possible. Um, the numbers are so small, there's no way I can tell you, even anecdotally, if that's made a difference. But it makes me sleep easier. Um, I just 
feel like all when you create that bone dust with the bird, that could potentially uh, be a cause of HO. You still take yeah, surveillance, the, routine surveillance x-rays too? I usually get it in the first post-operative visit, especially if I've done bone work. I want to see how, the extent of the bone that I've taken off. Um, and usually if they're, if they're not symptomatic, they're getting the range of motion back. I don't repeat another x-ray after that point. But all, all of the cases that had HO, um, all were symptomatic. All lost range of motion. All developed a, a block to their motion, so they they definitely had symptoms and problems that prompted additional X-rays. Is that the reason why you initiated the study? That that was one of them. Um, yeah. And when I got when I looked when I researched the incidence of HO after elbow arthroscopy, there there really wasn't much out there. Um, and even at meetings and talking to some of the elbow gurus. Um, like Sean O'Driscoll, it, it, he had only seen a handful in his whole career. So that, that was actually, you're right, that was one of the factors that do, let's, let's look at that. And then it just became a much bigger study than, than just HO. We looked at all, the, all these different complications. Well, I think you're one of the gurus now. I hate to tell you that, but. <laughs> no, I'm, I've been really fortunate in the Kaiser system. We don't really, surgeons don't really compete with one another for patients and you know, I showed up and said, I like elbows. And all of a sudden, I, I had a ton of elbows being referred to me, not only from my own hospital, but other Kaisers. So um, I, I just did a, ended up doing a fair amount of elbows. It's one of my passions. Awesome. Awesome. Well, I always think of you as a shoulder surgeon. So, you know, that's changed <laughs> now. It's awesome. I appreciate that. Thank you. Any other closing thoughts? Um, my closing thoughts would be that, I mean, this, this, is, this kind of shows that the complication rate with elbow arthroscopy is, is low. Um, don't be worried or don't be concerned about taking on elbow arthroscopy if you're in practice. I would definitely start just the way I did is I started with diagnostic arthroscopy, then loose body removal, then releasing the anterior capsule, then taking off bone and, and just kind of learning the tips and tricks. Uh, along the way to to be able to do the more complex cases. Um, the other things that in, in my practice, I, I think one of the biggest issues with elbow arthroscopy is the, the distance for, of the elbow, uh, between the elbow and the patient's torso. And I found that the prone position gives you the biggest distance so that you, you have room to maneuver with the elbow, uh, with the uh, arthroscope. So I do all of my cases prone uh, and that gives me easy access to the anterior compartment and the posterior compartment. So I would recommend that. I would recommend definitely using a tourniquet so you don't have problems with visualization. Um, I run my pump pressure really low, like 15 at the most 20 millimeters of mercury. Um, and I found one of the biggest things was suction. Uh, I, I do not use suction when I use a shaver. Um, I, and and even, even when you're shaving without any suction, it still is able to resect uh, enough tissue that you can see what's going on. And I have my assistant flex and extend the elbow. So when you flex the elbow in the anterior compartment, it pushes the anterior castle farther away so it creates more space. Um, and then the same thing in the posterior compartment, if you extend the elbow, that creates more space. So I have my assistant constantly um, ranging the elbow depending on where I'm working to give myself more room. Um, I think those are just some tips uh, that I've learned along the way that make my surgeries go a lot easier and smoother and hopefully it'll help someone else do the same. 
That's fantastic. Fantastic tips. Thank you very much for coming on the program. Thank you, Rob. I appreciate it. This article, currently in pre-publication online for Arthroscopy Journal, Complications of Elbow Arthroscopy in a Community-Based Practice, can be found on the Arthroscopy Journal's website at arthroscopyjournal.org.